Acts chapter 5 to 31, and we'll see how far we get this morning, um, where the Lord leads us. But in Acts chapter 28, verses 25 to 31, for those of you who weren't here last week, we'll go through a little bit of review because it really kind of ties into basically towards um, the, the latter part of this chapter. So in verse 25 we read, And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed after that Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people, and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed, and had great reasoning among themselves. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house, and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God, and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ, with all confidence, no man forbidding him. These aren't the last words about Paul. We're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4 a little bit later, and we'll see his final words as he speaks to Timothy. But I'd like to ask Matthew again, like last week he read Romans chapter 12, verses 1, to 1, and 1 through 9. Could you read Romans 12, 1 and 2 again, just the first two verses? And that's a very, um, I think it's a very good headline and an interesting introduction for what we're going to see here today. Amen. Thank you, Matthew. Here, when we were speaking last week about the letter to the Romans, the, the epistle of the Romans had already been written. Many had come up from actually the southern portion of Italy and all up through the different towns that we looked at, Regium and all up through Naples and all, as you're heading up towards Rome. And there were Christians that met with Paul in all of the locations that he stopped at, at the tavern, he gets into Rome, and they were there. And the question is, how did they have any understanding about Paul? How did they know about him? Well, there had been visits. There had been letters written. They had the letters from the, to the Romans, the Diaspora, that Paul had written. And when Paul writes Romans, we went over, um, talked a little bit about Romans last week. But I'd like to go back there one more time and talk about how he, the, doc, the doctrinal portion the point of application through the first 11 chapters of Romans was to exhort the Israelites to, 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 to call out the unbelieving Jews, to show, to show the justification of, 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 by faith alone. And Paul was giving incredible, um, in, incredible doctrine and teaching and preaching in the first 11 chapters. And then when he goes to verse 12, he goes into Christian living. He goes into what our responsibilities are. And Paul had said here that I beseech you or I encourage you, I exhort you, I beg you. He shows great love and a concern as a pastor. He implores them to receive God's blessings through obedience. And he, he gives a necessary conclusion. 
where he says, I beseech you therefore, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And that therefore is a necessary conclusion. It's by the mercies of God that we do the work for the Lord. And when we honor the Lord, that is a grace that he gives to us. And that people that don't want to do that and that hate Jesus, it's amazing how people that hate Jesus, they love the benefits of the grace that he gives them through the law, the commandments. And you know, I just I was saving this for tonight, but I'm going to say this now. Isn't it amazing that all of these woke companies, you went out yesterday, did you, did you have any difficult time going into major shopping centers having any parking problems? Oh, it was up, up in Bel Air, it was just overflowing, packed. You couldn't get a, you could not get a parking space at Sprout, you couldn't get it over at Harford, it was hard. And people are flying back and forth. Isn't it amazing that all of these liberal woke com companies that are promoting all this stuff, do you know that their bottom line at the end of the year depends on one time a year? The birth of Christ. That's not when he was actually born, but it is celebrated as Christmas. And their bottom line depends on Christmas for people to come in and purchase their goods. And if they don't have a good Christmas, they, have a, they, they usually are in the negative going into the next year. And it all comes down at the end of the year to that Christmas. It's all, it's all of course, become corporate and, and everything. But isn't it amazing that it all falls on the shoulders of the birth of Christ? If you, you know, if you, if you see the way that we celebrate it, of course. And it's amazing that these are all by the mercies of God. Could someone look up Lamentations 3, 22 and 23? Very, very well-known verses, excellent verses. If you have it memorized, just go ahead and sing it out. But go ahead and read it. It's Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Thank you. They're never boring. They're new every morning. Every morning we get up, we have new heartbeats, don't we? We have new breath of life. We have new leaves on the trees, new sun. Everything is brand new every day. Things are not, they're never boring. They're never neutral. Oh, we make them boring. We make them because of our mistakes and the things that we do in life. But the thing is, is that the Lord replenishes his land every single day. You know, we were hurting several weeks ago for rain. It was very dry. If you saw the rivers around here, you could actually see many, many feet down. Look at them now. Can you look at that and say, wow, thank the Lord. I prayed hard. We needed rain. They were talking on, 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 the, on, the, on the news and all about how we were into a pretty stiff drought going into one. And the Lord brings all the rain. His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. We see here that Paul talks about, as Matthew read, as a sacrifice. We're going to be seeing here that his life all the way down to the wire since he was a Pharisee and since he held the cloaks of the men that stoned Stephen becomes a living sacrifice. He's sacrificing everything for the Lord and I do believe part of that was because of the guilt that he felt over what he had done and the Lord had opened his eyes to the wrongness, to his wrongdoing. And he is a living sacrifice. And what are the kind of things as Christians I think we could bring up this morning? He says we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, which is our reasonable service. What does that mean? What are some of the things that we sacrifice for the Lord? Anyone? It can be family, yeah. 
their family members and they see us get saved and they see we have a testimony that they don't agree with it and that can be tough. Anything else? He says, present your bodies of a living sacrifice. Does that mean that we throw ourselves on the altar and have the priest cut us up and then offer us up as an oblation or burn us or something? No, that's been abrogated. That's been changed now. Now, the, the, the new covenant, Christ has made the ultimate sacrifice. What are some of the things we sacrifice? What about our time on Sunday morning? You think most people are running to Bible-believing churches this morning to hear the gospel? No, they're up at Target. they got to get their last minute of shopping in. Here they're celebrating, they're supposed to be selling Christ's birthday, but they're totally violating his dominion mandate to worship him on the Sabbath day and are up there in the stores. Guarantee you they're getting <laughs> completely filled. That's a sacrifice. And it's a, it's a wonderful sacrifice. Give up our time on Sundays. Oh, it's a day of rest. What about when we give up our money to support Christian organizations and to tithe and to give to the church? You know, the time it takes to teach or the time it takes to study or whatever. There's a lot of ways that we can sacrifice for the Lord. And Paul does this, and the this, this sacrifice, he's become, he becomes a martyr, which is the ultimate sacrifice that, that, that he gives. And so we see here, he says, I represent your bodies as a living sacrifice, which Paul will actually wind up doing. But he, in these verses, is, he is, once again, he warns the unbelieving Jewish leaders. And once again, he, he points out the lies and their disbelief. And he goes back to Isaiah. And he basically says, you've heard the truth, but your eyes are closed and your ears can't hear. And when we see the book of Romans, we just saw Paul's commissions to Christian responsibility. He had called out the unbelieving Jewish rulers. And here we see Paul once again addressing them. He's addressing them and they're there. And they come back and they say to him, we never received any of your writings. We never heard these pleas that you're making. And he said, I never said anything against the Jews. He said, I have everything that I have done. I have done everything I can to encourage and to preach and to teach what true Jewish Religion is supposed to be, that is in the middle of your sect of cult, which, which is basically what it is. You've left out the most important ingredient. You've left out a Messiah, the Messiah. And he's, and he's basically telling them, they're going head to head, basically his whole ministry. They're saying, we don't believe Jesus. And he's saying, he is your Messiah. And they're furious. And so he comes back and he calls them out again. And they said, well, once again, we, gotta, we have to look at this. We have to talk about it. But Why? Because they're standing in front of the Roman Forum, and they had to watch their attitudes. They really had to watch their demeanor. It was a very serious matter here, because as we talked about last week, the progression right now, Paul had a lot of Roman leaders on his side. He really did. Agrippa said, Paul, almost thou persuadest me. And it was Felix that turned him over, or Festus that turned him over to Agrippa, and then Agrippa, he gets on the ship, and the Roman centurion Julius Augustus protects Paul, allows him to have friends, and listen, actually listens to him. And then it turns out they're on the Isle of Melita. Julius says, well, the soldiers, what did they say? Kill them all. Kill all the prisoners so we don't have to answer for it. What happens? Julius says, don't you touch any of them, which was the edict. God said, not a hair on your head's going to be touched. And they go on the Isle of Melita. Paul stands there and helps them with the sticks, heals a bunch of people, and then makes it safely to Rome. And so all this, all this, and now the Jews are being very careful. So Paul implores them, he implores in his message to never to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Could someone look up Romans 8, 28 and 29? Very important verses, as they all are, but these have been, have been very prominent verses about works for, you know, through, 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 the light, through Christian ministry. Awesome. Thank you, Faith. And look, you see, he says that all things work together for good, not for evil. He says it works for good, for wonderful things. Is there going to be trials and sacrifice? Yes. But do you think that unsafe people don't have trials and sacrifices? Where do they go without God? All things work together for good to them that love the Lord. All things. That means everything that happens, no matter what we're in, we can find purpose and comfort in everything that happens to us if we focus on the Lord. And then Paul makes that very, very clear. Here Paul, he's, Paul is opening up with this, he has a sixth defense here. We talked about all the other ones last week. How could Paul call the chief Jews together? They're all there, they meet, and basically there's the Sanhedrin, and they worked closely with the Roman government, and remember, we can see that they are there in Rome because they always had scheduled meetings and they got together, basically the Jewish council, to see how far they could push the Christian church. That was one of their objectives. And so they were there. Remember in, Ma in Matthew 27, verses 1 and 2, when the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. You see the connection between the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, and the Roman Empire? There the Jews had him, but they couldn't do anything with him because they had to have permission from the Roman government, the forum, the, 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 the imperial government, in order to be able to execute him. And so they had to turn him over to Pontius Pilate. They couldn't just do it. And this was such a big event. And there were so many people watching. They just they pushed him off to Rome. And that's what happened. And they always would work together. Paul adjures them once again. And he says, I haven't committed any wrongdoing. And even though, even though I haven't committed any wrongdoing, I was still delivered into the hands of the Romans. In other words, he's, look at all the trials. Look at the beatings I've taken. I've been shipwrecked. I've helped. I even helped the Roman Imperial Navy. I instructed the natives of Malta and healed many. I preached the gospel and have not ever been declared a murderer, an insurrectionist, a thief, or any evidence or made guilty of any crime. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Jesus hadn't done a thing, and now they want him dead? There is no cause of death in me. They would have let me go, and that goes back to Agrippa, except I appealed unto Caesar. But then Paul goes to the Jewish leaders, and he stands in front of them, and basically he says, even for the hope, the salvation of Israel, I am bound with these chains. He shows a love for his country. What he's trying to do is he's trying to go in he speaks before the Jewish council and before the Romans. And no matter who he's speaking to, he's giving the gospel. He's telling them about Jesus. He's telling them about the Old Testament. And he's going back very much like Stephen did when Paul held the cloaks of the men that stoned him. He's becoming just like Stephen. And he's giving the same, the same measurements and the same allusions 
and the prophecies from the Old Testament to prove to them, well, it's like, like Jesus said in, in, in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, you're a ruler. How do you not know these things? Where did you miss the verses about me? In fact, I come to find out after studying and hearing different messages and all, that there is at least no less than over a thousand prophecies in the Old Testament regarding the coming of Jesus Christ and the presence of Him. No less than that. I didn't know there were that many. But in the Old Testament, it's incredible how many, how, how, how many forwarded prophecies are there, and every single one of them came, came perfectly. But Paul says, just like Jesus said over and over, you've heard these things, you've heard these things. And, what, and how did Jesus, how would he close when he, he would preach? He would say, he that hath what? That's right. Are you willing to listen? Or is this all just a bunch of banter to you? Is all just something, just basically an old relic, some old folklore or fiction, which a lot of people believe? Paul goes right after them. In Isaiah 6, 9, we read, And he said, Go and tell his people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. And remember the warning of Jeremiah in Jeremiah 5, 3. O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock, and, and they have refused to return. And then he comes back and he says in verse 21, Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. Another question. What was the job of a prophet? Anybody remember? What's that? The prophesy. That's a good one. Right? Pastor Olson has said it a thousand times here, maybe. Maybe not that much, but he said it enough. Pastor? Yes. Give them bad news. That was basically their job. And it's amazing how when they gave them good news, they didn't seem to listen to that much either. But remember Ezekiel. Remember, you know, you want to see some incredible prophecy. Ezekiel, and the Lord takes Ezekiel out in that valley of dry bones. He says, son of man, do you think I can raise these bones and you can bring them back to life? And all he could say was, what would he say? <laughs> Thou knowest. Thou knowest all things. And of course he had the power to do that. And these oracles of woe, these warnings, that is the job. That is the job of a father. That is the job of any spiritual leader. That's the job of a pastor or a teacher to give the warnings. The warnings are there very clear. The warnings are you're living in an untoward generation. Are you going to commit and bow down to current community conscience? And you know what the current community conscience around us is today. It's very dark. But Paul here, he's reminding them of a warning of Jehovah Elohim, the creator and judge. And he's, re he's, he's reminding them, just as Ezekiel did in chapter 12, verse 1, the word of the Lord also came unto me, saying, Son of man, thou dwellest in the midst of a rebellious house, which have eyes to see and see not. They have ears to hear and hear not. 
And so the question is, how can they see? And we can see in Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 17 to 18. If you, we read that last week, but the bottom line is, is basically, we, well, let me read a couple of verses. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? And then Jesus come back and says, You're blind. You're blind. You can't, you see these things and you hear them, but they don't mean anything to you. That's the problem, and that is where the rejection is. You know, we talk about how Jesus, how many times have you heard when you're listening to, um, to Christian radio, I mean, I've heard John MacArthur preach many times, and he always said about being a Christian, do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do you believe that he died on the cross? Do you believe that he resurrected from the dead? Well, good. Now you have the qualifications of a demon. That's, they believe it. They saw it. They know what happened. But the question is, do you know that you need a Savior? Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the simple requirement that he gave. Believe. You see the bumper sticker. People driving around. Look that up sometime on the Internet, what that bumper sticker means. It doesn't mean what we, be, what we believe. You see it's in black and has white letters that says believe. It doesn't mean what Jesus says. Believe. It's pretty bad, actually. Believe on me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's that simple. The Pharisees sought a sign and the Lord said, I'm not showing you anything. What else can I show you? I've healed ten lepers. I've healed the centurion's servant. I healed Peter's mother-in-law. I healed Jairus' daughter. Remember the Jews were out there, the women? They were out there, the professional criers. And they were, that's what they did. It's kind of like their, their vocation. And he, he, threw, he threw them out. And he went in and he raised that little 12-year-old girl from the dead. He had already done all these things. What else do I have to show you? He, he was saying. During the sixth defense, Paul's calling them out once again. He's saying, you are absolutely blind. And Paul never stopped working to fulfill his calling. He never compromised the truth. He remained faithful to our Lord and the Word of God. And we've seen the inception here of the new Christian church, which is where we are today. Persecution throughout the, books of, throughout the book of Acts was incredible as the inception of the Christian church. What are some of the... What are, what, as we're closing up the book of Acts, after so many years... The inception of the Christian church. What was, what was some of the hardships that they had faced? Do you remember going back? Some of the hard, hard things that they had faced and the attacks that came against the Christian church? I mean, there were several that we had looked at. Remember what Christ said in John 15, 18, to, John 15, 18 and 19. Can someone look that up? John 15, chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, please. Amen. Thank, thank you, Dave. Anybody remember some of the fierce attacks that came up in the book of Acts? Many times. That's right. Remember we looked at Stephen? Remember we looked at Peter and how Peter and John, they had been beaten. Paul and Silas, remember Peter had been incarcerated? He had been imprisoned. 
And how did he get out? He was never, he was supposed to be killed. He was there to be executed. What happened? Anybody remember? <laughs> What's that? That's exactly right. An angel came in, freed him. He went over to Rhoda's house. Remember, they couldn't believe it was him, and he went in there. That was part of it. There was Paul and Silas, the incarceration of Peter, his release by the angels, the brutal murder of Stephen, with Saul holding the cloaks of the murderers. Paul was stoned. He was beaten, imprisoned, maligned, plotted against, shipwrecked, and incredibly protected by Christ, and personally, audibly talked to Christ, even with all of this. Christ guided him and loved Paul and worked through him to deliver these words of eternal life. At this point, you want to hear where Paul winds up after all of this? At this point, Paul is in prison, but not like he, he's in prison now, but a few years later, he's coming back to prison. We're not exactly 100% sure where Paul was and what actually happened to him after Acts. But basically what happened was he was in prison and he was under uh, guard from soldiers that there were four of them that came in during the day. Each one of them got six. No, it was six of them. Each one of them, each guard got four hours. And each one of them were personally chained to Paul. At this point, he was actually in a better part of the prison. He was able to see friends. He was able to be part of people's lives. He was able to preach and teach. But then, according to records that go back to like Josephus and other, uh, other, other writings, he was released for a while, but then brought in again by Nero. And this is where he wound up. He was imprisoned, but a few short years later, there is a cistern carved out of solid rock, about 15 foot long, 15 foot wide. I mean, consider the dimensions here. 15 foot long, 15 foot wide, and about 8 foot high, just north of the forum where the sentences were carried out in Rome. And that's important to remember that. And it stands, it's called San Giuseppe del, it's called Falignami and near what's called the St. Joseph's of the Carpenters. It's a Roman Catholic church, and it's supposed to be dedicated to Jesus' foster father, Joseph of Nazareth, and it's still there. Beneath this structure are the remains of the traditional site of the imprisonments of the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter in Rome. The prison was simply known as the carcer, or prison, in Paul's day. It was the term mamertine, was attributed to the prison in the medieval period. This cavern was cold, dark, wet, and dank. This was the Mamertine prison where the Apostle Paul and Peter were held captive for their executions. From the steps, you can see the Roman Forum where they carried out their edicts to grant executions, and the prisoner had one small window that overlooked the building of the scaffolds that would be their hard execution where they were brutally executed. So how long was he held prison in that cistern? We really don't know, but this is where we read the final letters to Timothy, where Paul is ready to say goodbye. I mean, this is, to me is riveting. After you, you, you go through the book of Acts and you see these missionary journeys and you see the incredible work that he had done, where he winds up. We read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. Could someone look that up and read that? 2 Timothy 4, 5 through 8.
And thank you, Teresa. You go back to John 17 and you hear the, the, the consolatory discourse by Jesus on his knees praying. And he says, I pray not for the world, but for those which thou hast given me, for those that thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine. Thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. He wasn't just praying for the disciples of the day. He was praying for you. Personally. He knows your name. He calls your name. He knows it. I hear my sheep. They call me and I hear their voice. He knows you personally by name. And what I think is fascinating about these verses, if you go all the way back into Genesis, I'll never forget the narrative about Rachel when Rachel died. And that was the most horrible day of Jacob's life. And it said her soul departed from her. That tells you... I mean, and it's written so matter-of-factly that today, basically, you exist by, you came from nothing, you evolved from some primordial slime or some great big bang, you exist by nothing and you become nothing, and you're basically worth nothing. But that's, that's, that's what the college is, that's all these places teach about evolution. You're nothing. That's not true. When your soul departs from your body, what is being said here is exactly what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the end of this. He said, my soul is about to depart from my body. The Christian knows what happens in death. The, the Christian knows that when your soul departs from your body, your soul departs from this mortal coil that is just, just ridden with sin, age, sickness, all kinds of even mental and health and physical problems, and it's, it's held for a while, and your soul goes to be with Christ, and it is reunited. The Lord will take that time, and He rebuilds it all perfectly. And Paul says, it's amazing, he never says, he, he says in these verses, here's what he doesn't say. He says, I, he goes, for I am now ready to be offered, and I'm ready to die, perish, I'm ready to push up daisies. I'm ready to become worm food. That's not what he says. He says, and the time of my departure is at hand. He doesn't even look at it as death. He's saying <laughs> that big square that they, dug, they dig out, it's six foot deep. Well, that's what we do now, but back then it was a little different. It's funny how it's the shape of an elevator. If you sit it up, you're going up. That's basically your way out of here. That's what it's like for the Christian. <laughs> it's no wonder that death is such a horrifying thing for everybody else. You see all these idiots driving around with skeletons hanging off their vehicles. Now they're doing it for Christmas. They had this one idiot up there at his truck and his great big skeleton with his head hanging over the front with a Santa Claus hat on it. I mean, people just, they, they mock death they, because they, 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 they try to like push it out of their brains. But it's all coming. And Paul's talking about death. This is when he's sitting in that Mamertine prison. He's looking out the window, and they're building the very guillotine that they're going to cut his head off on, which is basically, according to record, that's basically, it's not in the Bible, but that's basically, they say, how he died. And he's not the only one going in that prison. He's, Peter's going there, too. And the next thing we're going to look at for a few minutes is how and who and by what. And here's the end of Acts Paul's coming down to the end of his ministry. He's done all these wonderful works. And here Paul says, I have fought the good fight. He spends his time writing the prison epistles. He goes back right before that and he talks about those that had 
desecrated the ministry and he called them out and he named names. He rebuked them. And then he talked about Onesiphorus. Does anybody remember precious Onesiphorus? He was. He was a thief at one point. And he's the one that wound up bringing the coat. He got saved. And he brought the coat to Paul. Hardly anybody visited him at this time. And there he is writing the prison epistles here in 2 Timothy. And he's exhorting Timothy. And he's telling Timothy. That's who I was named after. He's exhorting Timothy. He's exhorting him to keep going. Win that race. Fight that good fight. You know, today, all we hear today in Christianity is what? What do we hear? It's all prosperity. There's no battles. Everything is beautiful. You know, you, you got Joel Alstein. Every day is, as a Christian, every day is Good Friday. Every day is, every day is, thank goodness, it's Friday. No, it's not. There is a war out there. And that war began when you learned that you were saved by Jesus Christ and you couldn't go back to your old life. That's when the war really began. And the people that say, well, I have decided to follow Jesus, now all of my problems have gone away. Uh-uh. And I've heard that many, many times. That's when they start. Because you see things for the way, the way that they really are. Paul's telling Timothy, I fought the good fight. I've won the race. I'm out of here. He had already wrote. He was in the grip of ambivalence. Should I stay here or go to be with Christ, which is far better? I am in a straight betwixt two that he had said. And he still, he never backs out on this. I love the thing I love the Paul, about all the ministry of Paul is that he never wavered on the truth. He never backpedaled on what he preached and never came back and overturned it. You can name a whole list of Reformed pastors for many, many years back in the 70s that were Reformed. They believed in God's sovereignty and they loved it and they all turned on it. Several of them. I can name their names. I remember they, they were very Reformed and they came back and then they just kind of let it go. Paul never did that. He never turned back on what he knew to be true. It's like Polycarp when they were getting ready to execute him. And the, the soldiers loved him. Remember that story? He knew John the Baptist. Remember that? And he was up there. They went and they grabbed him and they took him. And they said, all you have to, soldiers are like, all you've got to do is say the words. You don't have to mean them. Stand up there, say the words. Just say, just say, Kaiser Curios. Caesar is king. That's all you have to say. Can, can you imagine Polycarp saying Nero is king? He said, what was it, 83 years, 83 years. I'm not paraphrasing this. I wish I had it memorized, but I did. It was a beautiful paragraph. He said, 83 years, the Lord has never let me down. I'm not about to start now. And they drove a, they drove a, a dagger right through his heart. and He bled profusely and all. 83 years. And the soldiers loved him. And they said, we don't want to see you die. Just say the words. Uh-uh. I'm not saying those words. Paul never said. He never went down. He never turned. He never turned over. He never stopped working to fulfill his calling. Was he perfect? No. He'd have been the first one to tell you that. No, but he loved the Lord. And we, we saw all these things happen. At this point, Paul's imprisoned. He, reads, he writes to Timothy. He fights the good fight. And one of my point was, is we are in a war. We are in a fight. And you become a Christian... That fight is there. Are you going to back down because of community conscience? Well, we shouldn't. Without, without God's grace, we will. 
Paul would stand before Nero, Augustus Caesar Nero. Here's a little bit about Nero. Here's the one that took, that took our hero's life. Paul and Peter, just heroes in the Christian faith. They weren't Christ, but they, they're incredible men. Nero had a lot of problems. His mother's name was Agrippina. His, his, his stepbrother Britannicus, his wife Octavia, and they were all murdered. And word has it that he was the, actual, the one that he's the one that actually actuated the murders. He had a lot of mental problems. Things started out actually kind of normal for him. And it was Octavia, we see recorded by the Jewish writer Josephus, who took great lengths to gather the historical facts about Rome. And he even differentiated by saying over time there were cogent lies about the true facts of Nero some of which have made him look far less of a hard murderer dictator that he was. Some of the things that that man did during his reign, you couldn't, I can't even repeat them. I don't even want to repeat them. They were so horrible. Talk about some of the stuff that's happened in Palestine now and what these, these wicked people in Gaza are doing to Israeli women. That's just the tip of the iceberg of what this guy was capable of. Nero's initial objective for Rome, heavily guided by his advisors, Burrus and Seneca, Seneca actually was a pretty good guy. He was Gallio's brother, and he was actually, he kind of trained Nero, just like Gamaliel trained Paul, to have patience. And he trained him to have good moral conduct. And at that point in Nero's life, that's basically what he was, where he was for a, for a short time. He, what he's, his objective was, Nero's, was to, to extend the borders of Rome solidify certain territories of the empire and incorporate a solid adherence and education of the Greek culture. I never knew this. But it turns out that one of the reasons that Nero had turned and the people turned on him, they did not want their Rome to be completely educated by Greek philosophy and culture. It had crept in, but they had other things that they believed in. And they were very upset at it. Here's what happened. He had considerable artistic interests. He at first wanted to change the image of Rome from a violent society to a much more humane environment, but boy, did that ever change. What happened was the Roman citizens and leaders hated his affinity for change and his Greek ways. His extravagance coupled with... Think, listen to this and see if this sounds familiar to you. Okay? Let me, let me find where it was. His extravagance coupled with terrible oversight of funds... Profits and management practices drove Rome into financial instability. Who? Yeah. Does that sound familiar? Driving the country into financial instability and basically like Robin Hood, robbing, taking from the rich and giving to the poor. And that's exactly but basically what is happening today. The financial instability of this country is, is, is disgusting. You know what George Washington said about war, didn't you? I mean, going back to what we really should be doing for war, we were to protect our borders. You know we have 100,000 men over in Japan right now? Why? We have 100,000 troops over in Japan right now. $83 billion of our favorite dollars in artillery and Black Hawk helicopters is over there, and they're the very artillery that bombed Israel. They found the serial numbers. The same artillery they left over there killed the people in Israel. And these morons down here in Towson have signs chanting for Palestine. I'd love to take every one of those women and let them just walk through Gaza for five minutes and see if they hold those, hold those flags up. Oh, they're out there cursing. I saw it a few weeks ago, hundreds of them cursing and yelling at Israel. 
And there are, there are funds are being turned against this nation. Our Christian values. George Washington would have said, get all of your troops and go down to that southern border, and if anybody comes in illegally, deal with them. He said to protect the borders. He didn't say to go abroad and, and weaken your strength of your armies and go over and help other people so that your country gets cut in half. And that's exactly what's happening. This is what Nero did. You can see so many similarities in our nation's judicial system that Rome had. It's almost frightening in the Roman Empire. And look what it's become. And so basically, he had heavy taxation, um, the depreciation of the Roman currency. Does that sound familiar? Is a dollar worth a dollar anymore in this country? It's incredible. The depreciation of Roman currency and the confiscation of large land holdings. Wow. The confiscation of large land holdings. Do you own? Oh, I live in America. I'm in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Don't pay your property tax in two weeks and see if you own your land. Your ground rent. Don't pay it and see what happens to you. And you can't even go down to courthouse and fight it to even get it down 25 bucks a year. You can't even do that. It's so hard to do that. I mean, you have to pay thousands of dollars in attorney fees to go through the whole process. <coughs> Sound familiar? That was Nero. Well, here's basically what happened, and we'll stop here in a minute. There was a great fire in Rome in A.D. 64, and in order to divert the accusation of Nero's fury, he diverted it to the Christians scattered through Rome and had them brutally hung, strangled, crucified, and burned. Paul, Peter, and his wife were part of that execution. He was referred to as, quote-unquote, the beast, and at the young age of 30, he took his own life. His people, his freedmen, which were his, his, his close guards, turned on him. He ran into the suburbs of Rome with four of his favorite freedmen, and, he, and he, he committed suicide right there. They didn't say how he did it. He was running away from them. They were his guards and his advisors, and Nero fled into the suburbs of Rome with his remaining trusted freedmen and committed suicide. You know, Paul never compromised the truth. He did not change his doctrine. He said, I stayed the course and remained faithful after coming out of this hard previous life of persecuting his church. And here are his final words. Let's read them. We could talk about them just maybe for a quick minute. we got to go. But in, if you could read, somebody could read 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 to 22. And look at the last words that he says to Timothy in verse 22. Go ahead.
That's what he says. Grace be with you. Grace be unto you. The Lord's grace be unto you. And he calls out those that helped him in the ministry. And Paul's getting down to the end of his life. And basically, he's, he goes out encouraging the other Christians. It's, it's kind of weird leaving Acts. We've been in here actually since we started right around, I think it was towards the end of, of, of September of 2017. That's how long we've been going through Acts. It's kind of hard to leave. And, you know, we, there's, there's, there's been a lot of, um, I've been praying hard about where to go next, but there's a, lot of, there's a lot to learn from what happened in the book of Acts. And so the Lord's leading me in certain directions. But if you go back, if you go back and you look at everything that happened and you read the book of Acts and you see the detail, you can't deny that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. You can't deny the detail. Is just, it's just too overwhelming. And as a Christian, I mean, it's in our hearts and we believe it unequivocally, but you have to know it and you have to understand it so that you can encourage other people with it that don't really understand it and are not taught. And that's what Paul's job was. That's what our job is. We'll finish, we'll finish with there. Jacob, could you close us this morning? Thank you.